0: I'm Dr. Amalia Gonyas malka Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us today is the High Commissioner of Botswana to South Africa, Sinolo Modise. Almost three decades ago, she was part of the first team of diplomats from Botswana in South Africa, circa 1990. She has served as ambassador for Botswana in the European Union, France, Germany, Italy, and the Benelux, and more recently as Botswana's High Commissioner to Namibia. Welcome to the show, High Commissioner.
1: Thank you very much. And thank you for having me on your show.
0: It's an absolute pleasure and we look forward to today's conversation. High Commissioner, to begin with, you were in South Africa, as I mentioned in the introduction, in the early 1990s, and that period really gave birth to democracy in South Africa. As someone who's witnessed this important piece of socio-political history, and now returned to the country two decades later, how have you experienced this transformation? And do you consider South Africa to be in a place that you imagined it would have been all those years ago? Well,
1: thank you very much. That's a very interesting question that I get oftentimes uh, from people who know that I was here in the 90s. I think when we came here to, to set up what was then the botswana representative office, Uh, the South African situation was obviously completely different from what it is now. There was an air of hope, uh, there was an air of fear, because uh, for for Black South Africans, it was, uh, actually, I must say, for all South Africans, it was a completely different space that they were moving into. And I saw then, in the eyes of South Africans, especially Black South Africans, a burning desire to take their country to another level. I was actually privileged to to attend uh, a training course for what was to be the first uh, uh, group of South African diplomats. And all that you saw then was just hope and excitement over what they wanted to do for their country. And coming back several decades later, I realized that a lot of that has been achieved i I cannot say that uh, everything has been done uh, perfectly, but I, I think uh, there's still a lot that has to be done, but there's still a lot that has been done. The most important thing that I notice now, or the the main change, is just the pride that has been bestowed on all South Africans. When I was here, for instance, that time, one would hardly even see a building, let alone a street or a road. Named after a black person. And when I came back 30 years later, I realized that I couldn't even recognize some of the streets. I looked for Church Street, for instance, and I was told it was no more. I looked for Hans Stodom Street and I was told it was no more. And most of those were replaced by, you know, South Africans of other races, which to me was, well, is quite impressive because that on its own gives a uh, young South Africans hope you know, or or a sense of belonging in the community.
0: What you've said is reminding me of a couple of things. One, when we did an interview with former president of, of Liberia, Ellen Sirleaf Johnson, when I asked her about what was her biggest achievement in the country, and she said, giving hope to a nation in despair, and thinking about your words, talking about the sense of pride and identity. I think that's so important in in a culture to be able to own your identity and that we often take simple things like street names for granted. But when you think about it, you're exposed to them on a continual basis. And that just further embeds cultural notions.
1: Exactly. That's just the way it is. And that's just how I felt when I came back to South Africa.
0: Yeah. Hi, Commissioner, can you tell us a few of your career highlights.
1: I think one, one of the, the main ones really was uh, being appointed to be part of the group that came to South Africa at a very historic time in the life of South Africa. Um, to me, that, that, that was something that I really, uh, that, that changed my own life as well, my perspective towards life and made me just appreciate South Africa much better than I, I, I had ever done. Because coming from a neighboring country, you know, we've we've had a lot of interaction with, uh, with South Africa, both at a personal and at a, at a professional level. But when I came here, in my official capacity, it was a completely different picture. And I appreciate the experience that I gained from that. The other highlight in my life was to be appointed as an ambassador to the EU. And that was at the age of forty five so you can imagine just what a huge responsibility that was placed on me, and not only that, I mean just a sense of pride at uh, my government giving me that kind of responsibility at, at such a such an age. So to me that was a highlight and the most important thing also about my first assignment as ambassador was that this was at a time when the relationship between the the European union and a grouping of countries called the African, Pacific, and, and Caribbean countries. That was at a time when the relationship between the EU and this group of countries was was changing or was moving into another form. So we were involved in the negotiations of what was then called economic partnership agreements. That too was a you know a very interesting part of my life because that it was the first time that I was really exposed to serious trade negotiations.
0: And trade makes the world go round.
1: Exactly, exactly. You can say that even it's more, more so now than ever before. Yeah.
0: And fast forwarding to your life and, and world today, what are some of the objectives you want to achieve in your term as High Commissioner to South Africa?
1: The relationship between Botswana and South Africa is uh, historical and it covers almost every facet of, of our lives. There are certain areas that I really believe that we should really improve on, and one of those is just to tap on the huge uh, goodwill, especially amongst Botswana-speaking South Africans. You know, I'd like to see that group, together with uh, a few professionals from Botswana who work here, being a force for Botswana. Well, if I can maybe put it in a, bit, a little more controversial manner, I would say. I'd like to see that group become what uh, Israel is to any Jewish person, wherever they are in the world, you know, that, where Israel is the North Star, as it were. So I'd like to see that happen. It would be quite interesting. I, I know there are South Africans that are not Botswana, but it would be interesting to see how they can marshal the fact that they owe their identity to a country called Botswana, to, to see them do something to to demonstrate that something concrete, something that would uh, lead to the development of the country. Hmm. Yeah, so I've been working very closely with uh, the diaspora, the Botswana diaspora here. And interestingly enough, when, when I convene a meeting of uh, Botswana from Botswana, the diaspora, they always bring along Botswana speaking South Africans because you know, I think the two groups cannot separate themselves from one another. So that, that's quite interesting, and I think that that's a force that should really be used. Culture is such an
0: intangible element, but it's the glue which holds societies together. The other thing that I wanted to ask you is if you've got any specific programs in relation to women's development, whether that's from an educational aspect or empowerment.
1: You know, I've, I've always been of the view that uh, women's issues are really cross-cutting. So that every project that you start has a component that can make the, the lot of women better. The most critical thing is just to make sure that projects or programs are designed such that they do not exclude women. But every project really has a component that can benefit women. So I've been working with, uh, with other women here, but mainly the projects that I've worked on are projects that I've carried over from Namibia, and most of them are educational. Um, I've been working very closely with the Ambassador of Finland here about uh, programs that can uh, benefit women, especially in the, in the current areas of uh, um, artificial intelligence, you know, those kind of, of sciences. So I'm working very closely with the, the Ambassador of Finland to try and make sure that those kind of programs do not pass the young Botswana women by so that young Botswana women do benefit and see themselves as, as, as a, a direct beneficiaries of whatever the Finnish government is offering in terms of, 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 of courses in that, uh, that space.
0: Hearing you speak now reminds me of the fact that the diplomatic core in South Africa is exposed to literally every country that exists. And the opportunity space of being able to share knowledge and, and, and grow from that must be such a benefit.
1: It's a great benefit. But, you know, I think the, the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic has really Dampened the mood. There hasn't been that much interaction, and um, so I, I believe that we have lost on a lot of uh, opportunities that we could have exploited by virtue of the fact that, of course, we are in South Africa, which holds the largest number of uh, diplomatic missions. But so far, I can I, I can confirm what you are saying that you know we are able to much more than anywhere else in the world to network and uh, achieve some benefits for our individual countries.
0: It's wonderful to hear the cultural trajectory that you're on and uh, joining forces with other countries across the world to strengthen relationships and to pursue agendas. Hi, I'm Zonke Dikana, a South African Afro-Soul musician, songwriter and producer. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today, we're talking to the High Commissioner of Botswana to South Africa, Zanola Modise. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. High Commissioner, being a female leader, particularly in Africa, sometimes touches sensitive points, whether it's culture, religion and tradition, in your experience, do you feel that female ambassadors or high commissioners are judged differently to their male counterparts?
1: Very interesting because, uh, you know, diplomacy in itself is, is a very conservative uh, discipline. So and you can imagine conservatism and sexism, sometimes they go together. Yeah. So I do feel that uh, women ambassadors and high commissioners are really... Uh, disadvantage in most instances to start with uh, a woman high commissioner ambassador or diplomat has to juggle the job of diplomacy with running a family that one is a fact we cannot run away from it and most of the time I find that it really um, slows down the progress of women put next to their male counterparts right from the beginning of the career when you join the diplomatic service you put a a young man and a young woman next to one another. The young man is bound to progress much faster than the woman, just because society has has has, has uh, places certain responsibilities over a woman that makes makes it very difficult for 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 her to excel in diplomacy. Because one diplomacy is about networking, meeting people, and long hours. And can you imagine a woman spending long hours away from home, especially a woman who has a family? You know, always uh, she always has to balance between family and that. And our male counterparts don't care about those kind of things. They interact, they network, they, they can spend long, long hours, you know, working or, or interacting with their counterparts. And in our job, you are judged on your ability to make friends for the country, to get opportunities for the country through those networks, and sometimes long hours, as I just indicated. Mm-hmm. So indeed, we are... A woman ambassador is uh, just much differently. Uh, Special
0: and relational capital is critical to, to the functioning of your role. And as you say, that is an investment of time. Staying with the, the aspects of gender differences, how would you say the state of gender equality is in
1: Botswana? We've started from a very low base, I must say. And um, thanks to the advocacy of certain groups in Botswana, we've managed to make uh, certain inroads. Uh, and I think the most important aspect has has been the ability to get government to change certain legislations that were that disadvantaged women. And because of that, because of those changes, now we are increasingly seeing women moving into spaces that were hitherto. Or traditionally uh, reserved for men, now we see women into politics much more than we have ever done. We see women becoming priests in churches, something that to us in Botswana is, is fairly new. Uh, we're seeing women be becoming chiefs, tribal chiefs, because traditionally that was uh, frowned upon and it never happened. Now we are seeing it, it happening. We are seeing more uh, young girls uh, en- uh, enrolling in schools, high schools, and and, and even in universities. And we have seen certain practices really being changed to accommodate uh, women. For instance, one of the problems that we have in Botswana is teenage pregnancies. And one of the things that the government has done to ensure that women or young girls are not disadvantaged by this program is to enable or to allow these young, young girls to come back to school after confinement. So I think I think I think a lot has been achieved, but there's still a lot that has to be done. This problem of gender-based violence is still prevalent in Botswana as well. You've certainly outlined
0: some of the achievements, and I think in line with what we've been experiencing from a International Women's Day point of view, um, the month of March is, is a period where we acknowledge the achievements that have taken place to help accelerate women's progress. But as you rightly say, there is still much that needs to be changed. If you could have a crystal ball or a, a wish list, what would be the next thing that you'd like to see change to to help advance gender equality in Botswana?
1: I think it's, it's more education, communication, communication, communication. Because, you know, it's one thing to have good government policies or gender neutral government policies. But it's one thing to actually implement those. Because you find that in, in, in some cases, in most cases in Botswana, we have these beautiful uh, policies, but then the way they're implemented is still being affected by our traditional beliefs, traditional values. So that you find that uh, a policy would allow, for instance, uh, equal access to land. And then when you go to a, a tribal chief in some village in Botswana, he'll, always give preference to a man because in his mind, land is something that has to be owned and held by men as opposed to women. So I think the most important thing is really education. And the honors also is on us as women to educate our, the boy child, to, to, to appreciate the fact that uh, uh, women deserve equal chances like that.
0: The struggle I always have on this question and issue in particular is the issue of time, the issue of socialization, that people, particularly older people, don't get the concept and the principles immediately because they are burdened by old thinking, which just doesn't allow them to to change and, and become progressive. So, I always think that the steps and the actions we're doing now are actually for women of the future. We may not see these changes in our lifetime, but hopefully the efforts that we undertake will make their lives better.
1: Exactly, that that is true. Uh, I think think that is true. It's education and efforts that are being made at this point in time that will uh, make a difference in future.
0: Uh, High Commissioner, you mentioned aspects of leadership change in terms of women being able to become chiefs, women serving as priests, women being part of political systems and and being more prevalent in government structures. Building female leadership capacity, I think, is is a very important factor factor for the future of women to our countries and indeed across the world. And when we see women occupying positions in government, serving as heads of state, it's significant for a number of reasons, such as demonstrating the empowerment of women in governance, the fact that women in these positions serve as role models for other women to hopefully follow in their footsteps, and that having suitable gender representation is important for policy development as well as policy implementation. We only have two serving female presidents on the continent, Ethiopia and Tanzania. What do you think needs to happen for more countries in Africa to accept a female
1: president? I think it all boils down to education. Education not just to our male counterparts, but to us women. You know that uh, invariably the most active in politics, it's women who really play a, a, a leading role at the grassroots. It is women who vote most of the time. And I think education should focus on getting us as women to start with, to recognize the fact that in, we can be led by other women because it's ingrained in, in an average woman that a leader has to be a man. I always remember one of my ministers, the actually the first foreign minister in Botswana who was a woman, and she used to say that, you know, it's amazing that uh, when you ask women who they would rather vote for in an election, it's not uncommon to hear a woman saying, I'll vote for that man in a red shirt. Not even knowing who the the, the man in a red shirt is, but because he's a man, we tend to believe that uh, he qualifies to be a leader. So, so to answer your question in short, it's, it's just about education. It's education especially amongst to to teach our, our ourselves as women that you know we should we can be led by other women and the fact that we have a few women leaders in Africa should really i think motivate us as women in africa and i think we should talk more about it so that we expose women even in even in the most rural of our places to the fact that there is a a woman leader in a particular country, and she's doing a great job. Staying with this view
0: of of women in leadership, we know that women have to apply different skills in order to be effective leaders. As a female leader, can you tell us about some of your leadership strategies that you found to be most effective?
1: I always go back to the, uh, the, our traditional Zona values of uh, Botu and humility. I have never been disadvantaged in my job because of uh, the application of the concept of Botu and humility. Uh, botu and humility are disarming to any opponent that one uh, deals with. And I always appeal to aspiring young ladies that, uh, you know, just, just be yourself. But don't, don't forget the critical values that, uh, that, that, that ground us as, as, as Africans and as Botswana in particular. We both when humility in my culture are, are critical. And, and I've, I've seen that they, they, you know, they, even at an international stage, they, they're still, critical and they can help one they can propel one to greater heights so that that's what i have always applied and i've learned that you know in every organization or in everything that i have done i've always made sure that i bring everybody along everybody in the organization always has something to add to whatever you're doing even the cleaner in the office they have something to add to the vision to the mission of the, of an organization So from a very early age, I've learned to embrace everybody in the organization and treat them with humility. The qualities that you've just
0: described are ingrained in a lot of our cultures. So it's not something that's foreign to to apply. Ubuntu, humility, being inclusive are are really grounded, foundational structures in day-to-day society. And the fact that you're able to, to leverage these
1: attributes is a wonderful insight into leadership. Yes, that's true because, you know, it's simple things like even using people's names. I've been in situations where uh, at the end of my tour in a certain place, the accolade that I've received was the fact that I used people's names. When I worked in, in, in with the ACP in Brussels, at the end of my tour, one of the, the the gentlemen who used to serve tea in our meetings came to me and said, thank you. I will always remember the fact that you always used my first name when you talk to me, you used my name, you know. So it's little things that are uh, embedded in both and humility that really make a difference in one's life.
0: Thank you for sharing some of those insights with us. Hi, this is Lira, South African Afro-Soul singer and songwriter. You're listening to Womanity, Women in Unity, presented by Dr. Amelia Malka on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, a program that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights and democracy. Today, we're talking to the High Commissioner of Botswana to South Africa, Senolo Modise, we would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. Ambassador, we've spoken a lot about culture. We've spoken a lot about leadership and the attributes and values that, that women bring into the mix. I want to ask you about some of the women who have been important agents of change in Botswana with regards to pursuing gender equality.
1: I, I wouldn't mention a single woman, but a group of women. I believe that uh, we as women in Botswana, especially professional women, we owe what we have achieved to a group of women who formed an organization that was called Emambasadi in 1986. You know, in 1986 in Botswana, it was unheard of to talk about uh, equality of women. And... This group of women—I think there were about five of them—they formed this organization and fought very hard to improve the lot of women. They were called all sorts of names, but they persevered. Up to this day, the, the organization is not as, uh, as as popular as it was then, but I still believe that the, those are the women who really made a si- significant impact on the situation of women in Botswana. They, they, they pushed for the for the uh, for change of laws. They assisted women to fight cases in, in course. They did quite a lot, really. And, and I think to me, that group of women, I, you know, I salute them and 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 I, I think I owe what I am to them, to their efforts.
0: 36 years ago is a relatively short time frame when you've got a women's organization coming in and driving change. We spoke earlier about the, the Finnish ambassador, and one of the things that she mentioned was that in the 19th century, that was when the women's movement helped, which is why we see such great inroads in terms of gender equality with the Nordic countries. So the fact that we are relatively immature in developing our women's movements means that we still have quite a long way to go. But that these coalitions of women who drove change have made that fundamental grounding
1: to pave the way for us. Exactly. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I, I think uh, actually they, they did this at a time when it was not even popular, at, at, at least in Botswana, to even talk about uh, equality of women and, and women being given uh, opportunities. Similar to those of the male counterparts. Yeah.
0: One question I want to ask you now is about your personal journey and some of the factors that you consider have contributed to your success. I asked this question to all my guests, and interestingly, everybody's got a, a different mix of ingredients. No one has a, a universal recipe, which I think is a wonderful thing. So if you can please share with us what you consider to have been some of the factors that have helped contribute to your success.
1: I think I should start off by paying tribute or thanking my government for having provided the environment, at least the educational environment for me to achieve what I've managed to achieve. Our education policy at the time when I went to school and up to now actually, was to give free education Especially tertiary education to Botswana students, and that was open to everybody. And the fact that I managed to to take advantage of the opportunities that were that that, that were made available, I think I should not. In addition to thanking myself, or maybe attributing that to my own uh, inner strength and my ability to focus, I think I should thank the government for having made uh, that that possible. And the other thing that I have has uh, really Uh, contributed to my achievements, my success, and even my personality is my father, strangely enough. I I had a father who believed in me. My father thought I was the greatest person, the greatest thing that ever walked this earth. And most of the lessons that he imparted to me and most of the things that he said to me, I realized that, you know, I've I've, held on to them. And, and they have uh, uh, they've shaped my, my view and, and, and what I've become. And, and I, I, I appreciate that because now when I look back, I say, here is a man telling me what to look, for, do, look out for in life, what to do and what not. Even to the, the day before I got married, the person who talked to me about marriage and what to look out for in marriage and what to, to, to avoid was my father. My father was not necessarily the greatest husband, but the fact that he could want, he could talk to me about marriage and, and what to look out for meant that he was using his own experience. He knew what disadvantaged a woman in marriage and what, what made a woman uh, unhappy or whatever, and, 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 and sought to protect his child from that. And most of what he said, I tell you, has, has really shaped what what I I became. And just the fact that he believed that I could achieve anything. He always told me that, you know, you you can be anything that you want to be. And I I really think that I I, I took that to heart and and I I attribute a lot of what I am to my dad.
0: Having someone believe in you is really, really important. We see that time and time again because often we have these self-doubts But when you've got someone who believes in you so wholeheartedly, like your dad, it really does propel that momentum to drive forwards. Thinking back to the past, can you share with us a few of the pivotal moments in your life as you were growing up that have contributed to shaping you into the person you are today?
1: Um, I I come from a, a, a family where there were more boys than than girls, I think there are just three girls in my family and, 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 and six six boys, and um, I'm the second in the, in the family, and for for the longest time I was the only girl in the family, and I I did a lot of work in the in in the, in the house, you know, I I cleaned, I I, I did laundry for my brothers and, and all those those kind of things, but. Um, my father always, you know, pulled me to the side and reminded me that, you know, this this is not what you are going to do for the rest of your life. You should work hard and make sure that you don't do that. Even though I was expected to do those things in the in the in the family, my dad always took me to the side and told me that, you know, I have to make sure that I that that I I do not uh, end up doing that for the for the for the rest of my life and for anybody. And I think that shaped. The way I, I looked at life later in life, in life, that, you know, you could still do these things. You could still do the laundry, the, the washing and, and everything, and still aim for greater heights. So that in my life, I've, I've never felt that being a wife, taking care of children, running the home in any way puts me in a second-class position. I've always believed that, you know, I could do those things. And then as soon as I step out of the house, then I can compete at a higher level because I was made to believe that, um, you know, I, I can do it. So some of the, the lessons for me in, in, in life was the fact that I, was, I, I grew up in an environment where I was made to actually tend for boys. But still, you know, be, 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 be given that message on the side that no. But this is not the end of it. You can still, you know, achieve much more than tending for, for for your male counterparts or for your brothers and sisters. Yeah,
0: That's a fantastic perspective. And I think a view and an experience that many, many women contend with, but sometimes they don't escape and they lose themselves and lock themselves into the way that the world has defined them and not going beyond those boundaries and really embracing their own personal ambitions. You've spoken about your dad who sounds like he was a wonderful, wonderful man. Can you tell us about some of the strong women in your life?
1: I, I think I've met strong women at different uh, stages of my life from the time I was growing up and then maybe going to, to, to school. And, uh, even in, in my career, um, uh, I, when, when I joined the foreign service in Botswana, our minister was a, was a woman, a very strong woman who had very strong beliefs on in, in terms of what to do and what not to do. And, uh, a woman who sought to, to 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 actually recreate us in her image—I may say—to be controversial. I I found I found her to be the strongest woman that I've ever um, had to deal with from a professional point of view. She's now a hundred years old. She's still in Botswana. Yes, I'm telling you, she's still around and, and getting stronger. So she told us the importance of of. Uh, Working hard professionally and keeping healthy, and I uh, I I I salute her because when she talk, told us, told us about what to eat, what not to eat, what to do to exercise and things like that to stay strong, we we, we thought it was it was you know just a just, but she's she 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 lives she, she's a, an embodiment of that because she's still 100, she's now a hundred years old still have, has a sharp mind and getting strong. But that was a very powerful woman in Botswana who I really uh, look up to up to this moment.
0: And lastly, as we close out our conversation today, can you use this platform to share a few words of inspiration or motivation for girls and women in the continent that are listening to us?
1: I think so the young girls out there all i can say is that you can make it yes you can do it you can make it uh it just takes determination and and and, uh, and a lot of focus uh, and of course uh humility and both too you know that uh, uh the sky is blue as i said you know it it can be done um one are the days when women were confined to to, to to the kitchen or to the home that is long, long, long gone, and I think uh, every uh, young lady should know that they can do anything that that, that they, they wish to do, and they should not allow anybody to put them down. That was the lesson that my father told me told me that don't never allow anybody to put you down because you are great. every young girl out there is great and can achieve a lot. They should not allow anybody to put them there. It can be done.
0: Thank you for that wonderful message. It's been a pleasure to host you. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks.
0: You have been listening to Womanity, Woman in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective. And we have been talking to the High Commissioner of Botswana to South Africa, Sanolo Modise.